This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. You've got to be able to care for yourself first. You've got to be able to put wood on your own campfire before it will cast light. You've got to be able to care for yourself first before you could care effectively for other people. Dory One, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It is episode 130. I'm your host, Ben Cloy. This is your first time tuning into the podcast. Welcome back. We've had the interview shows here pause for a little bit. I am happy and excited to bring today's interview about personal courage in a way that we really need in the world today. And the question I want to leave and open with here is, do you have the courage to do the right thing, even when it's hard? You might remember John as he was on the podcast last year, and he is back to talk about his newest book, Iron Sharpened Leadership. There was one phrase that really stood out to me in this interview, and it's our conversation on personal courage. Having courage to do what is right, even when it might leave you alone and isolated. Man, that was a hard question to answer, and we talked about it fairly extensively on the podcast. As we dive into this topic, it became clear from my own experiences in the world we live in today that this one trait, this one single trait, could make or break a leader, and it can make all the difference. To give you a little background on John, John is a major general, U.S. Army retired, founder and CEO of Leader Grove LLC. He's a keynote speaker, leadership facilitator, coach, author, and just an all-around great, inspired individual. If you want, I'll go ahead and include a link down in the show notes for his episode when he was back in the podcast last year. There's also a link down in the show notes for his book, Iron Sharpen Leadership, so you can go grab that on Amazon really quick. And something else I want to add here is that something I've really loved adding to my life over the last few months is a daily planner. And one of those planners that I really chose to use was the Monk Manual. We're going to be having an interview here in the future by the CEO of Monk Manual. And we have a special code for you to go over and head over to Monk Manual and get a 10% off. So there's a link for that down in the show notes, or you can just go ahead and use code VETDAD to get 10% off. This Monk Manual has been something that I've used in the off season, and it's really helped create the focus and the momentum, but most importantly, the clarity in everyday decisions that they're leading up to the bigger things and just a deeper reflection on gratitude and all the things that are going right in your life, even when some days it seemed like they weren't. And so go check out Monk Manual, use code VETDAD or the link down in the show notes. Without further ado, guys, let's get started with episode 130 with John Grosky. 
Welcome back to the podcast, John. Hey, Ben, it is so good to be with you. I enjoyed uh, the last time we were together. I was looking forward to today. You were in a small group of people because you're only the second person to be a repeat guest on the podcast. So you have joined an even more elite club than you're already a part of being an Army veteran. Well, Ben, I can't wait to tell my wife and kids about that. <laughs> They'd be like, Dad, you're not that big of a deal. That's usually what you find when you go tell your kids what, what you do. Like, Dad, that's not that interesting. Uh, ex- yep, that's probably the response I would get. I heard it once said uh, by Conan O'Brien that he'll go home and his kids like, yeah, whatever, Dad. I don't really care that you host the Tonight Show or host the Conan O'Brien show. Like, to them, he's no big deal. And <laughs> it's weird yeah. when you are a big deal in one world and then you go to this other world and you're just like, yeah, okay, Dad, what about it? <laughs> Some Somebody else's dad is always a bigger deal, right? Exactly. Like, Dad, why can't you be like them? And I'm like, I am. You just don't see me like that generally. Or they just have this <laughs> weird filter they apply to you. of, Dad, you're just Dad. They don't see you as in they do see you as an incredible person but they don't often get excited about what you get excited about they probably see me, me as incredible but sometimes it depends what word they put after incredible you know it could be incredibly stupid incredibly awkward you know it just goes on from there so you were on last time an episode 75 to talk about your book the right of your life which was the story about how you and your wife rode from Washington, all the way to your PCS station in Pennsylvania, if I remember correctly, the state, right? That's right. But you left out the best part so far. That you rode on a bicycle or that you had your 18-month-old behind you? Yeah, we had our our 15-month-old baby who turned uh, out to be an 18-year-old baby by the time we finished the trip. Yeah. that. So the question I want to ask leading into this interview is what did you feel like that was unfinished that made you want to write your next book, which is the Iron Sharpened Leadership? Yeah, it was the leadership component of it. You know, uh, that book, The Ride of Our Lives, Lessons on Life, Leadership, and Love, did have a leadership element to it. Uh, but the book really focused on that three-month, over 4,000-mile journey we took by bicycle as a family. And uh, I, I, I wanted to... Um, focus a book more strictly on leadership and and really lessons I've learned over the past 40 years of leading other human beings, Uh, you know, uh, and and lessons I I learned from observing other people. So, you know, in the Army, we talk about after action reviews, which is really like a hot wash when you're done with a training event, when you're done with an operational uh, mission in combat. You take the time to go back and and uh, you know review with your the element that you're leading. Hey, what what things did we do well? What things will we want to improve on next time? And what general lessons did we learn? And and that's really the essence of this book, Iron Sharpened Leadership. So when you were looking back through that lens, it kind of reminds me of Matthew McConaughey's, Matthew McConaughey's book, Green Lights, which is he just turned fifty, and apparently he was keeping all these random notes about his life. And he decided to put it into a book. And it's a brilliant book. If no one out there listening has read it, I wholeheartedly recommend it. And if you like the sound of Matthew McConaughey voice, he does his own book on Audible. And he does a great job even acting out a book. Rarely, rarely do you hear a book being read and acted at the same time. And he pulled it off. So the question I want to look through, like when you started looking back at that lens, and I think maybe you hinted at it when maybe unintentionally, but you used the word human beings. And I think that's probably something that a lot of people get messed up. I know dads get messed up, that we get told we're human doings, but we're actually human beings. And even in the military, 
you get you're kind of just where you told where to go and it can be very much more of like you're just a peg in a wheel and you're not an actual person that has thoughts and feelings and opinions so when you're looking back through that lens of even the human being i'm interested to see did you see like this new kind of like overarching thread that evolved through your own life of how that had to evolve of teaching or even teaching leaders under you but then also learning yourself like how do you actually treat these people as people versus just people that you command to do different things before the military unit. Yeah, you know that that's that's a, a great question Ben and I really think it, it comes down to dignity and respect. You know, treating the people you lead with dignity and respect. And I like to say you know as we think about uh you know the concept of a toxic leader, you know a leader who is caustic and just just uh treats people in a way that is not very effective or or productive. I think it's impossible to be labeled a toxic leader if you treat the people you lead with dignity and respect. And then you could you could kind of uh, you know uh, expand that. You know uh, you know in in the business world. You know yeah treat your treat your employees with dignity and respect, and they will end up treating customers with dignity and respect. Treat your vendors the same way. And then, you know, just, just from our perspective, Ben, you know, treating our family with dignity and respect, you know, how many, sometimes I reflect on, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a saint, you know, I, I'm just a mortal person. And sometimes perhaps I, I treat my, my wife in a less respectful way than I should treat her. And I think to myself, you know, if I was dealing with a friend of mine, would I have talked to her like that? You know, may, maybe not. And so, you know, you have to, Think about how how do you treat your your spouse? How do you treat your your kids? Are you treating them with dignity and respect, rather than in a a, a, a rougher you know less respectful way? I think I, th- I think that's really the key. You just sparked the thought, and I'm interested to see where it maybe played into your own. That I wholeheartedly agree with the dignity and respect, but I think a lot of men in today's society don't hold dignity and respect for ourselves first, and then it's just we reflect in outward to the world, but really we lack for ourselves inward. Uh, Ben, you're talking about a lot of great stuff. You know, you're talking about emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence. There's several elements of that. And one of the first elements of emotional intelligence is self-awareness. You've got to be aware of your own feelings first. And then after self-awareness, it's about self-control. And then once you master self-awareness and self-control, it's only then that you could master empathy, understanding how other people feel. And then once you master empathy, then you could start building relationships. And, you know, um, uh, some people say that, uh, you know, the new currency of, you know, the 2020s is not money, but it's relationships. And and it's so important uh, to be an, an effective leader, an effective uh, person to be able to, you know, understand those elements of emotional intelligence so you could develop those relationships. And then the other part is care. Uh, you know, I just wrote an article for for a magazine and, and the whole premise of the article is you've got to be able to care for yourself first. You've got to be able to put wood on your own campfire before it will cast light. You've got to be able to care for yourself first before you could care effectively for other people. So you hit the nail on the head there. I love the campfire analogy. I've always heard hear the oxygen mask on an airplane analogy, but the campfire one, I feel connects more deeply to a man's soul and it's less mechanical. 
like an oxygen mask is. And I feel like the oxygen mask is, is overused, but the, the fire, there's something about a fire that is makes it safe, makes it also, we understand it. And we know how it works even within like when we, we often describe that burning fire or desire on the inside as something we use to articulate. So I really appreciate that. Your book is called Iron Sharpen. So I'm interesting to understand who helped sharpen your emotional intelligence within your career. And like, what was it that maybe a army officer or any officer listening to this or any really member in the military listening to this or even business community like, where were you at in your life when you fully kind of like woke up to, wow, I really need to also look inward before I continue to worry about the outward? Yeah, yeah. You know, the title of the book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, it, it really comes from Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, And and that proverb, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says, as, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And to me, there's, there's a whole lot to un, un, unpack with that. Uh, what I get from it is, and I think this is a great message for for younger people too, that that you've got to hang out with the right people uh, in order to get stronger. You've got to hang out with people who are stronger than yourself. You know, uh, uh, physically stronger, mentally stronger, spiritually stronger. If you want to get stronger in 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 those areas, but then at the same token, uh, as you're reaching up a hand to others to help pull you up and make you stronger. You've got to be reaching down a hand uh, to pull other people up who might not have the same talents that you have. And so, uh, you know, just as you're looking uh, for people uh, to, you know, that you could sharpen yourself with, you've got to be looking to help other people become, become sharper too. So uh, I, 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 that, that title really means a lot to me. That proverb really um, mean, means a lot to me. And, and I, I think it's all about us trying to become better people, and then also uh, not forgetting to help others along the way behind us. I wholeheartedly agree, and I love that proverb. That proverbs like symbolizes like at the root and core of how men are meant to do life, and it also symbolizes where most of the opposite of how most men operate their life alone. It's all on us. We don't seek out knowledge. We don't admit we need help. We don't look behind us for people that need help. And I love how you said the one hand up, one hand down, because I often talk about it as the barrel of monkeys mindset that through together, it's that linking of the monkeys together that creates the strength of that chain. And we're never by yourself. You can do a lot, but there's only so much you can do. But just like in tug of war, it's the strength of everybody on that rope that allows the real momentum to go in your favor. And you're always going to be able to create more momentum than without that. But the problem I, I feel like within that mindset that iron sharpens iron is it's not something that is easily accepted within the culture. Like people don't often lean in towards it. They may hear it. They might even be listening to this podcast, listening to that iron sharpens iron and like they hear it, but they don't really hear it. And so I'm curious if you were to go back in time, was there something that you were telling yourself that maybe prevented yourself within your own story from fully hearing it? Cause I'm sure the younger version of John probably thought that he had all these big ambitions. He was going to be an army officer and he was going to go out there and change the world, but didn't really realize that maybe it was this togetherness that he was missing. Is there some story within that? Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it comes down to understanding that um, we need other people to help us along. And I guess I could tell you all kinds of stories, you know, just, just thinking back, 
you know, when I was in high school, you know, wanted to play football. And, uh, you know, it took me until I was a senior to be able to start on the football team. And, and uh, you know, it, it, it took some coaches who had a, a, a particular interest in helping me develop to be a player where, where I could do that. And then, you know, when I, I entered the military, uh, my first exposure to the military uh, was, was um, going to a, a basic camp at Fort Knox, Kentucky, where the drill sergeants were all uh, Vietnam vets and, and just having a respect for the crucible that they went through. And, and just, just, um, you know, my father, you know, uh, seventh grade education, uh, you know, his dad died five months before he was born. You know, that's why I had to drop out of high or drop out of school at seventh grade in order to start working for a living at the age of 13. And, and then, you know, just, just growing up in a, a middle-class blue collar type of of household and and just understanding uh, that if I was going to get anywhere, it wasn't only about me working hard. It was also about uh, seeking out other people who could help me develop in in in, in various ways. Uh, As you were telling I, that story, I couldn't help but connect, and I almost like regret not setting it up with the question that I asked because it, it was right there in front of me. When you went on the ride of your life, because I remember when you were talking the last time. You said wholeheartedly, the one thing I learned traveling across the country on a bike is people are generally good and they generally want to help you. And as long as you receive that help, you can do anything. And you almost had that proof from the very beginning. And maybe you didn't understand fully how it was applying in all your different areas. But something as big as that, that definitely was going to change how the system goes forward. Yeah. And be able to change all that. Yeah, I think it's realizing that there's always some, going to be somebody a little bit smarter than you. There's always going to be somebody a little bit stronger than you. And I, I heard this this saying, I forget where I even heard it, but somebody said, never compare yourself to other people because you're always going to find uh, somebody who's weaker than you when you're going to get arrogant, or you're going to find somebody who's who's stronger than you when you're going to feel you know less of a man or less of a person. So you know, don't compare yourself to other people. Just just compare yourself to you and try to be the best you that you that you can be. And and uh, I think in order to become the best the best person we could be, it's 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 about reaching out to others uh, to help us along. Uh, one other quick note here that you know a saying that I like is you know if you're if you're the strongest person in the gym, find another gym. If you're the smartest person in the room find another room. You, you've got to set yourself up to uh, to interact with people who are a little bit better than you so you could also get better. And that, again, gets back into the whole iron sharpened iron. I, I, I don't know, Ben, you know, yes, there, there was not really any one crucible event in my life where the light bulb went off. And, and I, I kind of found like, yeah, you know, we need other people. We need to reach out. Plus, we need to help others along. I think it's just over the uh, the years of of struggling, just like we all do, to try to find our way. That I decided, wow, if I'm if I'm if if I'm going to be successful at all, I'm going to need other people to to help me. I wholeheartedly agree with that. And sometimes, and I would say that bike ride was your crucible, kind of, because it was it was a very humbling. I think that was a word that I would also add and thread through what you said of. When you put yourself into spots where you're humble to the experience and you're kind of almost like okay with their ass being handed to you, 
like that just reminds you that there's more because I think what we often think in our head is that there's the finish line. And I have, I have an awareness to every time I think of when I talk about, Oh, when I finish this. So I, I pause for a second and I change it with milestone because it's all just milestones. It's some bigger idea. And I don't know where it's going to be, but there's always these things that I was like, man, it's going to be better. But then once on the other side of that better, it's just a milestone onto somewhere bigger and always putting yourself in that spot where you kind of do feel small and that you still feel like there's so much more to grow. And that can be easily something we get messed up with in leadership, I think, because we think that there's these just these ladders we need to climb when you get there, like a CEO, like, man, once we get there, everything, unicorns to show up and there's rainbows and unicorns and, and, and birthday presents and everything. But that's not really where it's at. And even a CEO is working towards probably transitioning from a CEO to an owner, that there is always something bigger and higher to work up towards that we get messed up on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I talk about leadership, one of the elements I talk about a lot, and I think you alluded to it is is vulnerability, Uh, allowing yourself to be vulnerable as a leader. And I think on that bicycle trip, you know, uh, I I, I say in the book, we were the ultimate thin skinned vehicles, (laughs) you know, you're on a bicycle, you don't have anything, you don't have metal around you or anything. And, and, um, and and so we were vulnerable. Uh, we we moved out of our comfort zone to cycle over four thousand miles with a, a two man backpack and ten and two sleeping bags and having to take care of a fifteen month old baby along the way. So we moved out of our comfort zone. We allowed ourselves to be vulnerable, and I think people need to do that. If if you're a leader, you you, you need to do that. You need to allow yourself to be vulnerable to your followers. Let your followers know about mistakes you've made in the past and how you were able to overcome those mistakes. You know, because, you know, if if you're a commander in a military unit or you're a CEO in a company, most of your followers probably think you never failed at anything. You know, hey, if you reach that level, then everything you touched must have turned to gold. And we all know that nothing could be farther from the truth. So share stories with those you lead about times you've made mistakes times you've swung and you've missed, time, you know, times you've failed and how you were able to overcome those. And, and by doing that, you could help the people you lead become more resilient as well. So I, I, th- I think that's an important aspect of leadership. And you talked about in your book, character being one of the a key component of having that leadership. And what you just spoke on kind of is one of those key ingredients. Can you expand on that a little bit more as it pertains to how it builds character within your team and unit and company as well? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I, when I talk about uh, character in the book, I, there, there's three sub elements of that, you know, values, you know, having core values and then being true to those values. You know, what, what does being true to your core values mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it means factoring your values into decisions you make because how many times have we as leaders made corporate decisions or organizational decisions without factoring in the values of our organization. I think that's a big mistake. Or if we're making a personal decision, how many times have we we made personal decisions without factoring our own personal core values into the decision? I think when we do that, that that's when things kind of go awry and get a, a little bit sideways on, it, sideways on us. So understanding what your core values are and syncing them with your organizational values really important. And then the second element is is integrity, which leads to trust. 
And I think cultivating trust in an organization by doing such things as, you know, trusting others first, providing a vision, you know, um, making sure you do have that integrity and, and that bedrock of integrity and, and showing people that you care about them, leading by example, all of those things help cultivate trust. And then the third element is care. And when I talk about care, yes, it's, 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 I, this is a hard thing for, I think, anybody to do is put the welfare of those you lead ahead of your own welfare. You know, that's easy to say, but in a, in a practical manner, pretty hard to do putting the welfare of those you lead before your own. But I think that's, that's essential. And, and those are the three elements of, of, of character that I talk about in, in the book, Iron Sharpened Leadership. I, what I hear in that also is as a leader makes a decision, I think one of the things they underestimate is how the employees will take that decision and apply it to how they've spoken, how they've taken action, and how does it fit within who we are as a company. And if it doesn't fit in through those different words and how the company has been set up, you start to degrade your trust. And I don't think leaders really give enough credibility to themselves to understand that every time you make a decision, especially if it's the, the larger the magnitude, the more they're going to look, does this really align with what you've just said over the last 90 days over staff meetings and company meetings and the decisions where people we've hired, people we've let go, does it all align towards what you've said you're going to do and who you are? And to me, that character is something that's kind of really the gold of a company and what really can move a culture forward in like outbeat strategy 10 to 1. But at the same time, most companies under undervalue what character and how an employee will look at character of a company when they try to decide to stay or whether they really give their all to that company as well. Like it's 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 very small. It's a small detail, but to me, it's one of those that leads big results within an organization. Yeah, you, you know, Ben, uh, the, the book is filled with stories. And one of the stories I tell in the book is a story about Johnson & Johnson back in the Tylenol crisis in the early 80s uh, in the Chicago area. Seven people uh, died from taking Tylenol because some, some crazy person put uh, you know, poison in the Tylenol bottles. And so, uh, you know, Johnson and Johnson, Jim Burke was the president at the time. And just about five years before that crisis, he got all his executives together and they reaffirmed the J&J credo, which was developed back in 1948. And uh, and when it came time to make certain business decisions to get through this crisis and doing the right thing for the customers that were out there, uh, they uh, J&J made the decision to remove all the Tylenol bottles from all the stores across the country and even had consumers return Tylenol for full refunds, even if the bottle was already open. I think it cost J&J over $30 million to do that. Uh, but the point is they regained their market share uh, within six months after they did those things. A lot of analysts thought the Tylenol brand was dead. You would never hear the name Tylenol again. But because they made those decisions in accordance with their J&J credo and their organizational values, they were able to, to overcome a, a very, very bad situation that was really no fault of their own. And then what, what, what came out of that was the uh, tamper-proof caps. You know, if, if you, know, you open up a bottle of medication that you buy over the counter these days and you see that tamper-proof type of capability. So, some some other goodness came out of that. But again, that there's a perfect example of a company making decisions, uh, even though it costs them a great deal of money in accordance with their values, 
and, and actually reaping benefits from that. I, I love that story. And it reminds me of the two stories within United Airlines and the passengers that got dragged off and which dragged on in the media for months after because they didn't align their response with their values. And also in Southwest, had a turbine fan completely go through the plane and actually kill a passenger that Southwest was commended for how they handled it as a corporation. And it quickly ended this news cycle very quickly because they've showed up right with who they are. They showed up with their heart and they became who they were and they didn't lose any brand loyalty, even though literally a turbine flew through the plane and killed someone. And in the same two scenarios, it's the, how the people show up is exactly what people are looking for. But most people, they, they just get so focused on all the noise within a business. It's that's where the real gold that can really propel a company. I want to go to one place within the military and then the army that this buzzword and almost out of my own curiosity, because I want to hear more about it is resilience. I always hear in the army that it's like the army's favorite buzzword, but I hear, I also hear a love hate relationship. Some people either love it or some people hate it. And some people buy into that. It just allows a lot of BS to get perpetuated even further. So I want to hear how did that word kind of work its way into the book and how did it work it into your way into your life and through your leadership style? Yeah, re resilience is another section in my book. It's it's part of my own personal leadership philosophy, and and there's three elements uh, to resilience that that I'll talk about. But let me tell you what resilience is in my mind. Uh, two elements to resilience: one is being able to overcome adversity, and the other one is working to be the best person you could be. Resilience does not happen by itself. You've got to work to harden yourself. You've got to work to become a more resilient person. It just, it just doesn't happen out of nowhere. You're not going to be able to overcome adverse situations if you haven't trained yourself to be to be able to do that. And then uh, to me, there's, there's three elements of resiliency. There's positive energy, there's fitness, and there's vulnerability. And positive energy, uh, that's all, all about a leader being optimistic. So, so what does that mean? When I say a leader has to be optimistic, it's a leader believing and having a plan to make tomorrow better than today. So that doesn't, you know, I mean, that doesn't mean a leader uh, shouldn't be upfront with people if they're going through a challenge. Uh, like when I commanded a brigade in Ramadi, you know, uh, uh, it was a very challenging, violent, chaotic time there. And I couldn't just say to the soldiers, oh, hey, everything's great. You know, don't worry about it. No, I mean, hey, yeah, you have to, you have to admit what the challenge is and then uh, have this attitude where, hey, we're going to make things better tomorrow than they are today. So to me, that, that's what optimism is all about. Fitness, uh, that's about, um, yeah, physical fitness, I think, is an important part of being a resilient person, absolutely. But it's also mental fitness. It's emotional fitness. It, it's spiritual fitness. Developing uh, yourself in those ways in order to be able to be a, a, a good person and also Harden yourself to overcome adverse circumstances. And then vulnerability, I think we already talked about vulnerability a little bit, uh, but that's moving out of your comfort zone. That's, put, that's deliberately putting yourself in tough situations that you've got to be able to fight through. Uh, you know, going out, you know, if we're talking about uh, vulnerability in terms of physical, you know, putting a 35 pack a uh, pound pack on your back and going out and doing a 12 mile ruck march. You know, I, I used to say that when I was in the army, you know, cause we did ruck march a lot. And, and when we'd be out there ruck marching on a 90 degree day, uh, I I'd say, Hey, this is resiliency training. That means you've got to fight through a, a, 
a, a tough situation. But then it, it's also, as I mentioned earlier, uh, sharing mistakes you've made with other people. And then I think another element of allowing yourself to be vulnerable is asking your followers what their opinion is. You know, if, if, if you're tackling a tough situation, you've got to make a decision, uh, you know, ask other people what they think, hey, and, and, and get other people's opinions. And by one of the best ways to show people you respect them is asking them what they think, asking them their opinion. And it doesn't mean you have to follow through with what their recommendation is. Uh, you're a leader, you're still going to have to make the decision. Uh, but but at least show people that respect. And then if you don't use the recommendation somebody makes, uh, you know, you have the time, at least try to go back and explain to the people why you're taking a different path. Because again, that shows them respect too. So I, I think resilience is is extremely important, not only in the military, but, but in normal life. I mean, I think we saw that in the pandemic that we all went through for the last 15, 16 months. And in, in, uh, in some areas of the country and some areas of the world still going through that. And I think people that had trained themselves to be resilient prior to the pandemic probably came out of the pandemic in a better place, in a better condition than other people who never tried to develop their resiliency. So I think resiliency is, is, is key. I think it's extremely important. What I also heard in that word resilience is acceptance is accepting the reality of the situation and accepting you're going to face it. Because often when you're not resilient, you're hiding and you're also lying to yourself and you're telling yourself a lot of things that aren't true to kind of make whatever reality you want to be true. But to be resilient is like going into the wind. And I'm almost reminded of how planes take off into the wind because you have better lift on the wings when you're taking off in the wind. It's that resilience of the plane going into the wind that allows it to take off better. But we don't often think of our life that way. But acceptance within the military, understanding like, I mean, I'm kind of reminded of Chessy Puller has a famous quote of being surrounded and being very optimistic about it. Like, good, now we can fire in any direction and we can't miss or they can't get away now because we're on all sides of us. Like that type of acceptance. But also you spoke to the optimistic, like this is how we're going to make it better tomorrow. Like the odds are in our favor. There's no way we can't win because we just fire him. We've got him. Like that type of leadership and that little moment where Chesty is known for, that is what I hear within the resilience that you're speaking of. Yeah. You, you, you know, another thing I say is leaders don't need to be great all the time. They only need to be great when it matters. And, and you know, uh, sometimes even from a spiritual perspective, when things are going great, you know, some of us don't pray at all because things are going great. We don't think we need God's grace. But when things are going a little bit bad, you know, that that's where we we tend to kind of reach out to that higher, higher power. And I think the same, same thing with, with people in an organization, you know, when things are humming along and everything's going great with, with the company, with the business, with the organization, you know, people probably aren't thinking too much about the leader and what is the leader saying and what vision does the leader have. But when things are going bad, that's where people look to the leader and they expect to, the leader to be great when when it matters for that leader to be great and 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 that's about um you know being optimistic and 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 again putting a plan together that's believable that that people believe okay we're going to be able to achieve this we're in a tough situation right now but this plan seems solid we believe it's going to work and then the leader uh again uh creating that vision creating that sense of 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 an action plan where he is going to be able to set the path forward 
and people feel like they're going to be able to to achieve what needs to be achieved. I love that answer. And I want to go to one more category here. And it was before we hit record and it was about personal courage. Go ahead and tell me why that word resonated so deeply with you when we were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine this morning and, and we were talking uh, about student athletes that I'm developing a leadership program for. He talked a, a lot about what coaches were, were saying was the issues with leadership they were seeing on, on their teams. And a lot of it was student athletes not holding other student athletes accountable. Several other things uh, similar to that. And I said, you know, the theme here is a lack of personal courage. And then as uh, you and I were talking before you hit record, we're talking about other situations. And it seems that a lot of the problems that result come from a lack of personal courage, a lack of one person holding another person accountable. And, you know, in the military, you know, if a, if a soldier sees another soldier sexually harassing a male or a female, you know, are they going to stand up? Are they going to have enough personal courage to speak out against that? We're in a business. You know, if, if you see that the CEO or the CFO, for example, the Enron example, you know, is doing something underhanded and illegal uh, to line their own pockets at the risk of having the common worker lose their pension, is somebody going to have the personal courage to, to speak against that? You know, it makes me think about a book I read by Gus Lee, and the name of that book is Courage, the Backbone of Leadership. And when I read that book, it's the first time I heard somebody talk about values in three left di different levels. You know, Gus talked about there's low values, such as cronyism, such as racism. You know, some people like Hitler had that value, right? Uh, racism. And then he said there's medium range values. And a medium range value could be loyalty because you could be loyal to a person like an Adolf Hitler. <laughs> And then he said, there's really only two high values. And he said, those two high values are integrity and courage. And the way he defined personal courage is acting for what is wrong, regardless of danger. So think about that. Or I'm sorry, correcting wrongs, regardless of danger. So think about that. Correcting wrongs, regardless of danger. How does how, What does that look like in a business setting? In a business setting, that could mean... Hey, you see somebody doing something illegal and something that's going to hurt the organization, something that's going to hurt the common worker, having the personal courage to speak up uh, on, on that wrong, even at the risk of personal danger, which could mean losing your job, you know, or, or maybe not getting the promotion you're looking for. So that is not an easy thing to do. And, and, and uh, what I told you before, you know, we started the recording here is that I'm going to start uh, thinking uh, long and hard about what are ways we could develop personal courage in aspiring leaders and uh, you know young people or really anybody to help them find ways to develop their personal courage. So when they're in situations like that, they are going to have the personal courage to speak up and and stand for you know what what, what their what their values are rather than just turning a blind eye, looking the other way, pretending they didn't see it, those type of things. You know, the, you're, you're never going to get uh, an organization moving in the right direction if, if, if you just turn a blind eye to things that, that are going on that are wrong. 
It reminds me of a story I heard when I was reading American Icon, which is a story of how Ford Motor Company saved themselves without having the full backing of the U.S. government like Chrysler and GM did. And Al Mulally was the CEO that was brought in. And initially, all this, the executives were very much, everything had to be perfect, even if it was wrong. And no one could tell the truth in executive meetings. But he was trying to create this culture where things could be said. And we had a, they had a red, green, yellow light PowerPoint slide. And this executive came in there saying that the escape wasn't going to be on time. It was either the escape or one of the other, like uh, an edge maybe. And it wasn't going to be on time. They're going to delay it three months. And it was a mistake. And this guy put a red up there. And he was like, everybody else was like, this guy's going to get fired. There's no way this is going to work. And Alan talks about in the book, that was a moment he knew he could save the company. Because someone had the courage to come up and say what needed to be said without the fear of what was going to happen. And as you were speaking, there was a couple words that I was thinking of as I was, if I just think of someone either in accounting or some just within the company that isn't very visible, but is definitely maybe sees things. And we almost see it and connected to, and this kind of ties back to fatherhood. How does it relate to our fear of lacking love? So a lot of people are really fear on what they do is going to affect how people love them. Not in the context of like a marriage, but just in the context of appreciation, friendships. We are as a people very like conscious to, am I going to have to worry about kind of like, am I going to be loved at the end of this? Like we don't often spend a lot of time thinking about it, but a lot of our conscious decisions are trying to keep the web of love that we have set up and trying to replace maybe what our parents or our father didn't really do, which highlights why fatherhood is so important. Because if you can inwardly create the feeling with your kids that their love comes from the inside, it's not validated by someone on the outside. And despite what someone says anywhere in life, you have the full capability to decide how much you can love yourself. But we often don't have that courage to say that or believe it. And so we look for other people. And if other people have the control over whether we feel loved, it's often dictating how much courage we'll, we'll express in that moment because maybe it's the, the love of a paycheck that our family has a home. And if we don't know that we can do something different or I'll just get a different job type mindset, we're going to be a slave to that feeling on the outside. And it's almost tied. And I can see it tied with sports athletes as well. When they're younger, they're just coming out. They're really trying to find their own way. And if they didn't have that validation, and maybe they've even got to sports because they, they feel validated there and this is a way for them to feel love, there isn't a lot of room for personal courage because this is their entire identity. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that, that's all good stuff. And, and, you know, it really all comes down to leadership. If a leadership isn't setting conditions where people could demonstrate that personal courage and be rewarded for demonstrating personal courage rather than be reprimanded for it, you know, people within the organization just aren't going to display that personal courage and the people who, who are hardwired to display that personal courage are going to find another organization, you know, where, 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 where that is, is valued and similar to initiative, you know, initiative is very, very important for people in an organization to display. And, you know, I, I believe that leaders have to uh, set forth, you know, a, a statement where they say, you know, if you demonstrate initiative, you're probably going to make a mistake. However, demonstrating initiative is worth the risk of people making honest mistakes. And then, and then once people do make an honest mistake because they demonstrated initiative, that's where people are going to be watching to see what is the leader's reaction to that? You know, is the leader, is the leader really not going to chop that person's legs out from under them because they made an honest mistake by demonstrating initiative? Or is the leader going to say, you know what, you know, a mistake was made, but let's, this is how we could learn from it. 
you know, not, let's not make this mistake again because now, now we have a learning here. But hey, I, I really value the initiative that you displayed. And the same with personal courage. And, and again, it all comes back, whether you're leading a family as a father or a mother, or, or leading a, a company as a CEO, or leading a military unit as senior NCO or officer, it really all comes down to what attitude is, is that leader going to develop in, in that environment for their followers to actually a, a, adhere to? And how are leaders going to react when followers do demonstrate that personal courage and tell the leader something that they really don't want to hear, uh, but something that's important for them to hear? All comes back to leadership. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's amazing of how many people have been talking about leadership and how we're really even just getting started. Of like, I mean, it's not something new. It's been around, but we continue to dive deep into it more as a society. And I mean, there's, I mean, every probably 10 minutes, there's a leadership consultant company probably started and they are probably already overwhelmed with business the moment they start, because we often think like all of this stuff is, is really knowledgeable, but there are still a lot of companies out there teaching basic leadership 101 to people that have never really had even a one-on-one lesson understanding it. And I really appreciate what the work that you've done and even having the courage to write potentially another leadership book. But in the context of what you're enriching with your stories, it's often that wisdom when it's tied to those stories that allow us to see something within our own life. And it's stories that allow us to see a door in a room. We didn't see one existing one man's story is another man's door. So I really appreciate you having the personal courage to put your life leadership story on display and being able to, to share it with the world again. Ben, I appreciate that. And, 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 you know, there's still a lot of organizations that, that don't value leadership training. You know, I, I was uh, doing a leadership assessment for this large manufacturer down in the Dallas, Texas area. And the way they would promote their line workers in this factory where there was a lot of dangerous equipment, you know, a, a lot of ways to get hurt there. If, if somebody was doing a good job on the line, they would get promoted to be a supervisor. And so now they would be le leading, you know, 12 to 15 other people, but they would never be trained before being put in that position. However, if somebody was going to be pulled off the line and and they were going to be put in a position as a forklift operator. They were given like four days of training and they had to be licensed and everything else. So, you know, if you're going to, so that told me that, hey, if you were going to be put in charge of 12 other people, training wasn't important. But if you were going to drive a forklift, training was important. So, you know, it, it didn't make any sense to me. And I kind of. The left hand wasn't talking to the right hand in that case. Yeah. You know, it, I think it's more important if you're going to be in charge of 12 people than if you're going to be driving a a forklift. Don't get me wrong. I think training is um, uh, important with the forklift too for safety, but at the same token, for the safety of and well-being of the people that are being led, I think it's a good idea to put that person in some type of leadership training first before putting them in charge of the lives of, of, of 12 other people. But uh, I would argue that a toxic leader in charge of 12 people that create toxic mindsets in front of machines that potentially could hurt themselves would be actually far more dangerous to their well-being than the fork truck driver, even an ill-trained Ill fork truck driver. Because to me, when someone's not clearly a mind within that mode, and if they're overthinking a conversation or just being yelled at or ridiculed or tear down, their mind is not in the game and they're more likely to lose a hand in that moment because of that toxic leader not knowing how to communicate properly. <laughs> ben well said, agreed. I agree with you 100%. Well, John, I thank you for coming on the podcast a second time. Hopefully there's a third book there somewhere and then you can be the first one. You can be in even the, the elite club of having the third time back in the podcast. 
But I really appreciate you stopping by. There'll be a link for that, your book, Iron Sharpen Leadership, in the show notes if you want to go over and grab it on Amazon. I appreciate it again for you having the personal courage to put it out there. Go grab it. Find this story and find your ability to understand how leadership is one of those of how you lead yourself will be how you lead your life. And it's one of those core concepts we overlook, even in the military. I feel like we preach it over and over, but it doesn't always sink in, even for my own self. I feel like I heard it and heard it, but I didn't hear it. And so you can never really get enough leadership stuff because there's always different layers to it. So thank you, John, for coming on the podcast again. Hey, Ben, thank you. Thanks for the content you put out. It's, it's always good, always gets me thinking. So keep doing what you're doing. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And in keeping with the tradition and sharing my big takeaway of this episode, I don't think it's going to be any surprise that this word personal courage really resonated on a deep level with me. It's one of the bigger things that I hadn't really dove into when talking about leadership or in my own journey of learning about leadership. And with everything going on in the world with Afghanistan and anything else that seems off, personal courage is almost this elephant in the room in almost every one of those conversations that isn't really being addressed. And so the one thing that I want to leave you with is really look into your life. Really look at those areas where you need to execute more personal courage. And don't be afraid to execute personal courage, but not worry about that love that I talked about. Because as I talk to so many different dads, that is a core component that we need something from the outside world to feel complete. But that's not how it's supposed to be, which often can corrupt our own leadership because we're looking to be people pleasers, we're looking to make everybody happy, and we're not really living our own truest self and also living up to our own moral courage of values and all the different things that go with that, especially in the military where you have all these different values that we live by and the way you execute life, that can be really something that really can get confused as you go through this story. So we are back having these interview shows. I've got a really great interview lined up next week. I have retired former senior leader enlisted advisor to the Joint Chief of Staffs. You don't want to miss this conversation because we dive into some of the context of what just happened in Afghanistan. So that interview will be coming up next week, and I will see you guys on Friday.